all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here with my special guest, Lissa Weathersley. And Lissa has been with us uh, off and on for a number of years, so you will remember her. She especially was helpful during our Christmas programming, and uh, so we are really glad to have you back with us, Lissa. It is so good to be back. I've missed you guys. Yeah, and and since uh, you were here, you've done additional training. Not only uh, had you done internal medicine, uh, but also geriatrics, and I was so, so excited as someone who is also a geriatrician, at least by boards, um, to... um, See that you are doing that. What a blessing that is to have geriatricians around because there are so many folks that need them. And I heard overheard a conversation that you had. By the way, it's open mic today. Anything you want to talk about, we'll talk about it with you. Uh, it's unusual for you to corner a geriatrician. So if you have uh, calls about being old, uh, I may call in myself. Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring, and you can talk with the real thing, and she will tell you. What I was saying was uh, before I interrupted myself uh, that that's another sign, I guess, of aging. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that I heard overheard a conversation you had with someone here about who came up and found out where you were a geriatrician, said, mm-hmm. when should I see a geriatrician? Mm-hmm. And I thought your answer was was pretty interesting. It sounds like you want to hurt yourself because <laughs> you want to see people are sick. <laughs> that was the answer you gave her. And I, I was mm-hmm. really pleased to hear you say that mm-hmm. because geriatricians aren't afraid of complicated patients. Absolutely. I think that's probably why most of us choose the field um, in itself is that it is is a challenge because as naturally as people age, they acquire more illnesses, acquire more medicines, and um, tend to not fight and handle those illnesses quite as well as our younger folks. And so um, just as a group of people, elders, especially those who are ill, um, tend to just be more challenging, which is one of the reasons I really love geriatrics. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other components of this, and I, I've shared with our audience on many times, uh, that I walked through uh, this uh, end-of-life situation with my mom, and uh, mm-hmm. she was 103 when she died, and we went through independent living, assisted living, <clears throat> nursing home, and hospice, and we stayed long periods in each one of those. I think wow. she broke the record for hospice in Mississippi. She was in it for almost two years. And... Uh, and uh, the the thing that I learned from working with people in your division, which is a whole bunch of geriatricians, is that you really try to keep people at the highest level of functioning. Absolutely. Some people just want to put everybody in a nursing home. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. like young kids are in California and you're in Mississippi. You know, don't bother me. Put her in a nursing home. And uh, you don't put up with that. No, absolutely not. I think if you could say the one thing that we encourage our patients to do that they can do themselves to take the best care of themselves and to keep themselves as healthy as they can isn't necessarily even taking all your medicines and getting all your screenings, but it's to remain as functional as you can. And so, I mean, absolutely is doing as much as you can do independently for as long as you can. Um, And then not just that, but to stay functional active too. I mean, I passed a 
gentleman walk like when I was coming into the parking lot here. He was probably in his 80s or so when he was walking um, up the road and he was power walking with dumbbells in each hand. And I was just like, you do it, buddy. And people think he's crazy, but they're data to show that the whole idea of sustaining your physical body helps sustain the rest of your absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely it's everything it's it's every other organ system will remain healthy you know the healthier that you are physically and the most functional you are so we're going to hattiesburg and meridian in your house if you give us a call at 1-877-672-7464 and before we do that so hang on and we've got open lines i just want to straighten out start the conversation about the flu vaccine I've had more emails and back and forth about this, uh, and a lot of it reflects the fact that, A, it's confusing, and B, I tried to make it less confusing because there are so many different choices, and uh, people got further confused. So I've had lots of uh, calls and so forth and so on. Uh, well, one person said, oh, I don't need to get my flu shot till January where I'll have a high level of antibody. Another person said, oh, it sounds like uh, it, since it only works about 50% of the time, I don't need to get it. All kinds of misconceptions, and we can't clear up all those today, but I'd like to start before we go to Hattiesburg and Meridian in your house, if you'll give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, about the a double dose flu shot. You can get this. A lot of these multiple vaccines are available. You can't get. They give you one or two choices, and you have to figure out whether you want the trivalent, the quadrivalent, the double dose. And the double dose, I think, is really the the trivalent. It's not the quadrivalent. So you don't have a choice. If you're going to get the double dose, uh, you you would take that. And that's recommended for seniors, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a study that came out um, that said that the theory behind it is that as we age, that our elders, which although I use that term, it's really anybody over 65 in the study. Um, they said that with the normal flu vaccine, that just because of age alone, their body didn't mount as robust of a response, an antibody response to the vaccine. So they took a group of people and they gave them the double dose, essentially. And they did show that those people who got the double dose did have less incidence of having the flu. And that's very new information because last year we didn't have that information. And I, I repeated that again. Again, this year, and one of my colleague colleagues at UMC said, no, Dr. Rick, this just came out. And there it was. And I had missed it because my subscription ran out, which I fixed. <laughs> That's another thing. Uh, so there you go. So there is a double dose. Is that what mm-hmm. you asked for, double mm-hmm. dose? Pro- That's probably what I would say. If you're 65 yeah, and older, and it's probably mm-hmm. worth getting it. Mm-hmm. There are a few more local reactions to it than the single dose. Uh, but otherwise, and those are minor. So if you want to talk about that, give us a call. We're going to Hattiesburg and Glenda. Hey, Glenda. Yes, hello. Thanks for waiting. No, that's okay. Um, I tell the gentleman what I was asking about, but I can tell you again if you need. I didn't hear what you told him. I hope you told him a good story. Okay. My question is about a procedure which is called platelet-rich plasma. Do you know anything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about that? It says that uh, they draw blood, put it in a centrifuge, and then uh, separate the uh, red blood cells from the concentrated platelets, right? And then they put the concentrated platelets back. In, in my case, it's my knee, uh-huh. and they put that back into your knee, mm-hmm. and um, it's supposed to help your joint. So, have and you been to Memphis? I'm trying to avoid knee replacement. Yeah, have you, you been are, to? I think. Have you been to Memphis? to get that done or thinking about it? No, no. I'm asking if you know anything about it and if where's the best place to get it. I know know a little bit about it. There's not much to know about it because there's really no science on it, okay? Uh And there are people, many, many people have knee disease. There's two groups of people, people who have hyperextensible joint syndrome, that is, they were incredible athletes, uh, ballet people, and their joints are very loose, and they tend to wiggle them and get osteoarthritis. And then there's another group of people 
who are, are overweight who are blowing their knees out from the weight problem. And then there's a miscellaneous group who just have uh, genetic uh, propensity to get osteoarthritis, which is degenerative arthritis of the knees. The patient is not degenerative. The cartilage is degenerative, and it dries out, and you get bone on bone. So that's the three groups. There are there are clinics uh, in uh, several places, including Memphis, that are putting stem cells and platelet-rich plasma into joints. And there's some doctors in Mississippi that occasionally will do that. And to the best of my knowledge, there are no control studies that show that that work. There are anecdotal studies. Uh, and one of the ways to find out whether anything works is to find out whether your insurance pays for it. And I will guarantee you that they are not going to pay for you to get platelet-rich plasma in your knee. Uh, well, I just spoke to someone recently who lives in California, and mm-hmm. he said Medicare paid for his. So, Well, I'm just not aware. Have you been able – we've been looking on the net to see if we can find any scientific data. Have you found anything that uh, – any controlled trials that that works? So I see some trials where they're enrolling patients and looking at things, but nothing that says that, that I see that it's going to be paid for mm-hmm. um, or any – like absolute conclusions that should well, be I don't benefit. see that there's much risk in her trying this if no. if insurance will pay for it. Um, the The only risk I could think about would be um, developing antibodies to your own platelets. But uh, you can ask who's ever doing it if there's any literature to suggest that you get uh, autoimmune thrombocytopenia from getting injections of platelets. The the knee joint is fairly isolated, and it may be that uh, that that's not a problem. But no, we don't do it at UMC. We're aware of it. Uh, there are no control studies to do it. We haven't been able to get anybody to pay for it uh, or stem cell. But it is certainly a potential therapy of uh, unknown efficacy. And in this particular case, it's probably pretty low risk. Is that helpful? Glenda, did I lose you? Me though, is it? It's a clinic. It would be a clinic in Memphis. It wouldn't be some hospital or. Oh, I, there may be lots of people in Mississippi doing that. I don't know. I just know that the stem cell stuff is going on in Mississippi. Is going on in Memphis in a private uh-huh. clinic, and uh-huh. it costs ten thousand dollars or something like that to have it done, and nobody pays for it. Uh-huh. So well, it's, it's it's probably considered experimental, but. But this doesn't say anything about stem cells. It just talks about the blood, the platelets. Well, most of the clinics that do one do the other. So that way they can roll you from one to the other and do both if one doesn't work. So you got to be careful about using procedures that are not scientifically approved to be effective. For instance, I'll just tell you, I've been using gabapentin as a rheumatologist for many years to treat low back pain. And a big study just came out looking at, the, and I never knew whether it worked or not, and a big study just came out looking at the use of gabapentin, uh, which is uh, uh, Lyrica and is, is included in the same class of drugs, for people with chronic low back pain, it doesn't work. It doesn't work any better than placebo. So I've got a lot of people on that that I'm going to take off of it because it costs them money. And there are side effects. Many people who use it get dizzy. So when you launch out into an area that doesn't have the science behind it, you have to be very careful that it's not going to make you worse than better. And I don't think this one would. That who's going to pay for it? I don't think this one would. And whether you want to... Uh, you think the cost is worth the benefit. I don't want anybody injecting anything into my knee that I don't know what it is, and I wouldn't have it done, but that doesn't mean that you might want to consider it, depending on how much you don't want to have anybody fiddle with your knee. The whole issue of knee replacement is another topic, and I hope somebody will will uh, will you know 
call in and talk about that. Sure. I will say this. Um, I was just looking for some places in Mississippi that might do this. And um, not saying this is the only place, but I did find one place. So North Mississippi Sports Medicine Orthopedic Clinic. Um, it looks like they are doing platelet-rich plasma therapy, and they are doing injections. Um, so it might be just something that you need to just go on the Internet and just look up and see some other places around Mississippi. But it does look like there are some orthopedic clinics that are potentially using it in Mississippi. And you're obviously an informed person. Uh, by the way, we're going to Biloxi and Meridian just in one second. You are an informed person. The best way to find information that's useful is not to Google this, but to go to Google Scholar, googlescholar.com, and put in your topic, and you actually pull up the medical literature on there, and there are summaries that most anybody can understand, even if you're not a medical person. You can take the article to the doctor who's recommending this and ask them to explain it. And if they don't want to explain it, you can open the door and get out the front and not come back. So there you go. That's that's my prejudiced opinion on that topic. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Biloxi and Rick. Hey, Rick. Hey, how are you? I'm good. What's happening with you? Hey, you know, I'm 55 years old, and um, I'm not taking any medications right now, but there are just so many medic- I mean, so many um, over-the-counter vitamins. And I'm thinking, should I start taking some because I'm getting older? And my other question is maybe should I start taking aspirin as well because I'm getting older and not taking any medications and I'm not on any maintenance drugs. But Okay, that, that's a good one. That's a good when one and much appreciated. Starting, yeah, when should I begin starting taking multivitamins maybe? I mean, I don't know. And supplements, mm-hmm. aspirin, supplements, multivitamins, uh, energy drinks, uh, 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 liquid uh, caloric beverages are being advertised that we used to use for nursing home payments. Uh, patients, uh, there's all kinds of things that are going to make you a uh, testosterone. All of this is supposed to make you live longer and live better. So what's what's the deal on that? So um, I think, honestly, that it, that taking a multivitamin, I think you can't start early enough. I take a multivitamin. I tell both my parents to take a multivitamin. I tell most of my patients to take a multivitamin. The only thing you got to be careful about when you get into the vitamin supplement world is taking too much of something. So um, taking the recommended amount that you can buy that is you know approved by the FDA, those amounts are usually going to be safe for you, especially when you have a case like you where you're otherwise healthy and you're not on other medicines because then you really don't have to worry about drug interactions but you know if you have a big laundry list of medicines that you're on, I would really cross reference all the supplements that you're going to take with your physician because there are some things that interact with a lot of our natural medicines you know one of my favorite things to tell patients is be careful of the things that start with G so garlic ginseng ginkgo um there's one more I'm blanking on, but the, the G's natural supplements, those are the ones that I tend to be the most weary about. They tend to interact with our blood thinners and a lot of our other medicines that are metabolized by the liver. But aside from that, an like a, a safe multivitamin is an absolute exceptional idea for you to do. And I don't think there's ever um, a time that's too early to start doing that. What about all those uh, caloric things that we used to use for people who couldn't swallow, those liquid uh, drinks that you use in nursing homes. Oh, like boosts? Like yeah, things for protein? They're now oh. advertising those for, you know, anybody who can walk. <laughs> so that you do have to be careful about those. Um, so I usually have my nursing home patients take them if I need them to have more caloric intake or more protein. But what about the normal person? The normal person. So you just, just remember, there's two different ways to use those. And essentially, Boost is not that much different than Slim Fast. So the difference is, is using it as a meal replacement or a meal supplement. So remember, if you're using it as a meal replacement, you're replacing the calories you would normally get from your meal. So that's why they say it'll help you lose weight because mm-hmm. it's less calories than a full meal. Mm-hmm. But I use them in my elders for a supplement. So you're still having all your normal meals, but you're getting those extra calories from that drink so in between you, your if meals. You're, if you want to, if you're uh, normal weight, you don't need that stuff. No, if you're normal yeah. and healthy, you're not, you don't really yeah. need that. Supplement. And you probably need to let your doctor know that you're taking them because some of them have fat in them. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't. It screws up your lipids. Everybody wants to sell you something if you're older. 
uh, and quote give you something uh, for free, right? So uh, you got to be careful. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that's not very nice. And I'll say one more thing about aspirin. Um, that's a good question, and it's something that people tend to overlook a lot of times. So, you know, currently the, the, the thought process is that if you are 50 or older and you don't have an increased risk of bleeding, then an aspirin for prevention of cardiovascular disease is helpful. And we usually say that... Um, when, when you anytime you start a medicine, you say, is the risk or the benefit greater? And so for people over 50, a small baby dose aspirin is what we say, um, taken every day in most people who are healthy without a risk of bleeding, the benefit outweighs the risk. Very good. We'll talk about other, other supplements and stuff if you give us a call at one 672 uh, Let's go to Michelle in Meridian. Hey, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. I have osteopenia. I'm fixing to be 65, and I've been on uh, things like Beneva for quite a while now, over 10 years. Mm. And I had someone tell me uh, today that I might want to consider going off of it. Mm-hmm. They do recommend that you don't stay on it long periods of time mm-hmm. because of brittle bones. That is actually correct. So whoever told you that, they are correct. So um, whenever you're on a bone rebuilding medicine, um, and there's different opinions and different studies that show different things. Um, but so Fosamax t- and Boniva are in that group of bisphosphonates. Correct. But there are now all kinds of other classes there of drugs. There are. There are. But most of those medicines used for osteoporosis, we usually recommend what we call a drug holiday. And at the 10-year mark, I would absolutely recommend that. So if you've been on that medicine for 10-plus years, you need to give your bones a break from that medicine. How come? And because the mechanism that they use to rebuild the bones, actually over time, it'll show that it'll actually kind of slow down and halt the healthy bone formation and like the bone regeneration process. So it'll actually over time, even though it's good, it can actually end up causing some, not necessarily damage to the bone, but just halting of our bone growth. So does that mean the other drugs, these new biologics and others, things like prolia Mm -hmm. and the others that you wouldn't use that either for a year or two before you? Yes, I would give the bones a complete break. Holiday, I would. I would give them a holiday. I would give them a holiday. And then, you know, there's not a a solid recommendation on how long that holiday is. Most of the time we say two years, and that's just because that's when Medicare will pay for us to do the study to look at the bone strength again. Ah, so what you do is after you've been on the holiday – then you get another uh, bone densitometry test. Yes, and absolutely. And then get back on it. Absolutely. And is that, 10 years the magic number? So most of the time I'm stopping them in my folks at five years. So mm-hmm. I'm giving, I'm at that five-year mark, I'm repeating their bone density. And if their bone density, depending on what it is, I'll either give them a break completely. So if their bone density is better or stable, I'll give them a break and won't put them on any other medicine. Uh, Michelle, is that what you needed? It is. It is. I felt like I'd probably been on it too long, and uh, I'm glad that my person told me so I could ask y'all. Thank okay, you, you got a good, good, good person. Stick with them. Okay. <laughs> what about men in bone densitometries? Do oh, you get such bone densitometries on old men like me? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so different preventative um, recommendations coming from different places. When you look at the Osteoporosis Foundation versus the United States Preventative Task Force, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between recommendations. But I think that most of us would say in men over 70 one time we'll look at your bone density and if that bone density is normal we're not going to repeat it again unless Mm. you have something that would change in your life that would make you at an increased risk of osteoporosis Mm. but in my elder men 70 and older i check a bone density one time in them at least and if it's normal you're golden and you don't need another one all right very good We've got an open line. We'd love to talk to you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Hattiesburg and Veronica. Hey, Veronica. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for your call. What's on your mind? Okay, I'm uh, thirty eight, going on thirty nine, mm-hmm. and um, I have I, I have room. Rheumatoid arthritis. Yes, ma'am. And my rheumatologist recently suggested that I 
tries built in uh-huh. to kind of uh, slow the breakdown of my joint, but I'm very nervous. Uh, a lot of the women in my family have arthritis, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid of it lowering my immune system because I don't want it to put me at risk, a greater risk for cancer. Okay, let's so, talk about that. So are you on Plaquenil now already? No, I have been on Plaquenil in the past, and it made my hair fall out. Hmm. When sorry. I was like in my 20s. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so the usual treatment for rheumatoid arthritis, the most important thing is to make the correct diagnosis. Uh, and the, the usual treatment is Plaquenil. And if that doesn't work, methotrexate, which is a very, very safe drug. Uh, and if that doesn't work, we usually add a, bio, a biologic like Zelgems as the third drug. Okay, and uh, if we haven't seen any effect with the methotrexate, we don't add that on. We just go to keep keep folks on Plaquenil, which is a long acting agent, has all kinds of beneficial effects that we don't really understand. And uh, so usually most people end up on uh, methotrexate and Plaquenil and some have to have these other agents added on. And you know that there are many of them, Humira. Enbrel, um, so forth and so on. Zelgems is in that family, and what it does is it it inhibits the production or action that family of drugs uh, of a, some chemicals that are, support the inflammatory response. That's uh, white blood cells in your joints that end up eating holes in your joints called erosions. And then the joints collapse, and you have to have them replaced. So what we're trying to do is present, prevent disability with these agents. Uh, Zelljams is an exception to the others in that you can take it as a pill. And uh, it's frequently uh, recommended for people like you who are drug-averse. They don't want to take anything. Um I don't like the drug, and I'm sure I'll get a bomb put under my car on the way out of here this (laughs) afternoon uh, because it is associated with a lot of gastrointestinal side effects. It does seem to be quite effective if you tolerate it. I tend to stick with the old and golden, and I usually go to something that's – we now have something like 16 of these agents. And I I tend to go with something like Enbrel, which you can self-inject – Humera or Remicade, which is another agent, which you basically have to get an infusion on. And there are lots of them. But uh, they're, they're, the risk of a life-threatening illness on one of these agents is increased. And it's usually a fungus, uh, tuberculosis. We don't give them to people with HIV or chronic hepatitis, so you always get tested for that before you do it. But it is very, and, and rare increases in lymphoma. Uh, there are some small numbers of people who get increased skin cancers on these, and we certainly have seen those. But they're all unusual, and we, ha- we, we measure a laboratory test every month, and we see you every three months. Uh, so you have a lot of contact with your rheumatologist when you're on these, or uh, his or her nurse and uh, make sure that things are okay. So I think if you really do have rheumatoid arthritis, you have an elevated SED rate or CRP showing that you have inflammation in your body, you're at risk not only for rheumatoid arthritis uh, side effects, but you're also at a very increased risk for heart attacks. We know that people with rheumatoid arthritis who are untreated have elevated inflammatory markers in their blood or have an increased risk of the order of a diabetic for having a heart attack. So not only do we put them on drugs like Zelljam, but we also put them on a statin. And that makes them crazy because now we're trying to sell two drugs at once. Do you want to comment on that? That sounded so great. Oh, well, that's that's my biased recommendation. So, for Veronica, if you want to know more about that, if you will send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, I will send you a patient info sheet on that or what are the other ones you're considering. But I would definitely give one of those biologics a control, a, a trial. And the secret is not to stay on if it's not working, and he'll tell you when you usually see the effect. 
Yeah, the only thing I would add is just like any medicine that you start, you really just have to weigh the risk and the benefits of that medicine. Just like I said earlier, you know, if you feel like having more control of your rheumatoid symptoms is worth to you is worth the risk of the medicine, then I say you give it a try. And if you can say my rheumatoid isn't that bad, I'd rather not risk it, then I wouldn't take the medicine. Yeah, the best measurement of how much inflammation you have is how much morning stiffness you have and how long it lasts. So if you're having morning stiffness, your hands are all gelled up for over an hour, you definitely need to be uh, on some kind of what's called DMARD, disease-modifying drug. I hope that helps, Veronica, and all the best to you. Let's go to V-Lou. In, hey, V-Lou, what's going on? Hello. Good to hear from you. Hello. You're on the radio. Oh, okay. Thank you. I couldn't tell. They told me there were three callers ahead of me, but I'm good. No, I'm we caught up. Listening. We caught up. We have two open lines oh, at one eight seven seven. Jared. I appreciate it. Six seven two seven four six four. Yes, ma'am. What, what the geriatric specialist says today, because I have family members who think I need one right away. So my first question is, who needs to see a geriatric person? Okay. And what's your second question? My second question, <laughs> well, let's see. Let me see if I can get to the second question. I'm, maybe I'll give you a little history real quick. I take one prescription medication a day. had a parathyroid removed a while back, so I would have to take that for the thyroid the rest of my life, they tell me, since that was removed. A thyroid or a parathyroid removed? Parathyroid. parathyroid. So they're giving you calcium, or what are they giving you? Well, well they're giving me... Uh, the same thing you take for just thyroid medication. Okay. I'll tell you the name of it. That's good. I, that's good. It's Synthroid. I, am I speaking to Dr. Rick? You're talking to Dr. Rick, and you're going to be talking well, Dr. to... Dr. Rick, I listen to you all the time, and you always seem to make a lot of sense. Well, thank you. It <laughs> but, it, uh, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> it's called before, because, but this is called Levothyronin. That's uh, right. LED. So what's your question about that? Okay. Well, I'm, I know that I'm taking the right dose because my... Family doctor tells me that, and a while back, uh, I had uh, a heart doctor tell me that my heart was in great shape. I did an echo; everything came out great. And this this is the only medication I take. Although I do take a baby aspirin or low dose aspirin once a day at night, and I do take. Uh, I guess it's just the regular one that she was talking about a few moments okay. ago. Okay, let me tell yeah, you what. You, let me tell you one. That. Let me tell you one reason that I'm not promoting geriatrics, even though I'm a big supporter of it. Uh, that, that's an oxymoron, I think. Uh, uh, one of the reasons that you need a geriatrician, I will tell you, Miss Lou, is you are very bright and you are very involved and interested in your health care. And I'm going to let the geriatrician answer your question about who, who you need to see, but I'm going to have my say first. The geriatricians actually take time to answer these million questions that you have. They make you write down all your questions before you go to the office. And if you have more than three, they make you send them in before you come where they can go through them really quick because they don't have all day. But they will take twice as much time as the average doctor, and they won't get mad, and they won't put their hand on the doorknob like I do. Okay? So there you go. Um, that was well said. Um, so I think that, um, you know, we usually say when you hit 65, that's when you're eligible um, for geriatric care, mostly because that's when the government considers you geriatric, probably. Um, but I think, you know, if you are an elder and you – either A, have a lot of medical problems. Because what happens is is the more medical problems you have, the more medicines that you're on. The more just, doctors you get up Yeah, see. the more doctors The more pills you, see, you get prescribed. Absolutely. And the more time it takes to handle those things. And just like you said, your general internist or family medicine doctor usually get on average about 20 minutes with you in a clinic appointment. And, you know, when you've got 10 medical problems in your own 15 medicines, you know, you can't get through that in 20 minutes. You just can't. And so I think the the beauty of geriatrics is that we are allowed to have a little bit longer appointments with you. And it allows us to kind of look at everything holistically. We take in everything into account and just kind of look at how things interplay with each other. Um, and then specific things that happen to people just as they age that maybe the general practitioner isn't quite as familiar with. 
with. Um, and we kind of pay attention to those things. Um, so I think that, you know, when you hit 65, I think if you have a lot of medical problems or just like you said, Dr. Rick, if you are very engaged in your health care and you really want to, um, you have a lot of questions and you really want good opinions, I think that's a perfect time to see a geriatrician. Um, you know, the limitation to that is that there aren't many of us. Yeah. And there but are. But you're trying to fix that. We're trying to make that better. That's we why are. you stayed around after you did your training. You Agreed. actually were committed to making geriatricians from Mississippi. So Agreed. God bless you. So I, I, I totally agree. And I hope that's helpful to you, uh, Miss Lou. And if not, send us an email and I promise we'll send you a whole stuff about geriatricians and geriatrics. And we're just lucky to have them here in Mississippi. Let's go to Memphis and Joe. Hey, Joe. Good morning. Sorry it took me so long to get to you. I mouthed off too much. That's no problem. What's happening? What advice would you give to help family members to convince an elderly person that it's time to give up the car keys? Oh, that is... They're erratic driving and... Mm-hmm. And it's getting to be scary the way they drive. Uh-huh. And I like to hang up and just listen to you on the radio. Oh, okay, <laughs> let me give you a little vignette. I, I had to do this with my mother. And uh, my mother was a very, very bright woman. She was um, a professional before it was popular for women to be professional. And uh, she looked at me when I said this and, and said, do you know what you're doing? Uh, I said, no, you're taking part of me away. When you take my car keys away, you're taking my ability to live independently because I can't go to the grocery store. I can't visit my friends. I can't go to Wednesday night supper at church. You're taking part of my personality. And I was crushed Mm -hmm. because that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to do something good rather than do something bad. And it actually made me tearful. That is the hardest thing that I do. I think that taking someone someone's keys away is one of the most difficult decisions that I make and that families make. Um, I will tell you that it's even harder when you have someone that has the mental capacity to understand what you're taking away um, because it's very, very difficult for them to adapt to that new lifestyle. I think that there are quite a few things that you can do. I think um, support is extremely helpful, especially if they're a very social elder. You know, if they do routinely go to places and hang out with people and have you know lunches and dinners I think you really have to recruit that social network to come in and fill up that space you know you've got to get people to come pick them up to keep them doing those things because the worst thing you can do is to rob them of their social engagement you know you've got to keep them going and doing why is it so important for seniors to continue to be engaged absolutely for multiple reasons for functionality to keep them up and going and moving and for mood you know I think the more engaged you are socially, the less likely you are to get depression and to get, you know, other mood issues. And so I think just from a functional and mood standpoint, that's so important. It really is. Um, And then I think um, as far as the actual act of taking the keys away, this is such a good question. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, It's very hard to do. And so I think that when I have that conversation with patients, you know, I kind of present it in a couple different ways. Um, One of the ways I say is, and and the reason it's difficult, let me backtrack, is because most elders think that they're okay to drive. So it's very difficult to convince someone who's been driving for 50, 60, 70 years that you don't think they should drive anymore because they think that they can. Um, so, And that's the hardest patient. It's when they think that they can do it. So, you know, I think that you got to present it in multiple ways. And Safety is probably one of the biggest ones, but to convince someone that they're unsafe who thinks that they're okay is difficult, you know? And so it's not just the safety of that person, but it's the safety of the other people on the road. So, you know, you have to say like, well, you know, how awful would it be if you did have an accident and someone else got hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then they say, well, I'm not going to have an accident. Well, we go into denial, though, just Absolutely. like you said. We, why don't y'all do driving tests in oh, your good geriatric question. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, you know, you say it's not just 
just you, but what if there's another driver on the road that hurts you? You know, it could be very detrimental to you if that driver were to go back and pull your medical records and see that you had some issues and that you had been told that the keys needed to be taken away. You know, then you could be sued. They could take your assets, things like that. Very difficult. So when I have a patient who truly believes that they can drive, I think that's exactly what you have to do. You have to recommend that they have a driving evaluation. You can do that in two different capacities. So you can go to the DMV and you can actually ask for a driving safety evaluation. And they actually have special things that you can do as an elder that look at multiple different facets of driving, your hearing, your vision, your reaction time, multiple things. And then the other thing, which I usually promote with my folks, is I find the DMV very nervous. Like, I get nervous when I go there just to renew my license. The whole thing just makes me nervous. So um, there's actually a driving clinic here in Jackson. It's actually at Methodist Rehab out on Lakeland. And it is a special clinic, and it's run by a physical therapist. And that physical therapist has a special training and driving evaluation. Wow. And you can go to her office, and it's very calm, and it's very relaxed, and you can talk to her. She'll do a therapy evaluation with you, and then she'll put you in, like, simulation, and she'll let you drive there. And then she'll actually let you get in the car, and she'll get in the car with you and drive you just around the parking lot and around the area. And to me, that is such a more calming environment than the DMV. So those are probably my two biggest recommendations. Oh, that's great. That's great. I didn't know that was available. So um, that that would be that would that would really appeal to me. And I've told my kids uh, that I know that's going to happen if I live long enough, but that they're going to have to prove it to me. So there you go. There's a way to prove it. All right, we're t- still taking calls at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'm Dr. Rick here with Dr. Lessa, uh, who's a geriatrician, and we are getting through as many of your calls as possible. Hey, Connie, what's going on with your uh, allergies? <laughs> Hi, and Hi. I'm sorry, I am totally off topic. No, there is no voice. topic. This program okay. is all anything you want to talk about. Very good. I'm from the north, never had allergies. I moved to Mississippi, been here for years, developed allergies, apparently. My eyes are watering, and all of a sudden, for the last three days, my lips are swollen. Mm-hmm. Is that hay fever? Is that like a hay fever symptom? I've no. never had it before. That's separate. That's called angioedema. And uh, angioedema uh, is... Um, the hay fever is sneezing out itchy eyes and runny nose in the spring. And, and I have that. Yeah, <laughs> and spring and fall. And if you have a cat in your house, it's uh, sneezing itchy eyes all year if you're allergic to the cat. Uh, and this time of the year, we have a huge pollen load with ragweed. And some people have contact allergy to that. Uh, ragweed and uh, grass Uh, are two allergens and people are really allergic that you can get hives because when the pollen's in your air in the air a lot of quantities it settles on your skin or you can get lip swollen up most often lip swelling is associated with food allergy or we don't know allergy okay so here's my suggestion to you number one go to the drugstore and get a topical nasal steroid uh, like uh, Rhinocort, uh, whatever court they've got, um, and uh, follow the directions, one to two sprays on each side of your nose twice a day. Uh, these are generic, over-the-counter, and uh, they are things like fluticasone, Flonase, uh, Rhinocort, Nasacort, uh, Yercort. And uh, if you don't know what they are, ask the pharmacist for a topical nasal steroid. Do not get a decongestant nasal spray like Afrin. You'll rot your nose out. So use two sprays of that twice a day after you blow your nose first. Otherwise, you're spraying it on mucus, and it doesn't work. Uh, You can also use a nasal lavage. They have a Neomed nasal lavage kit to wash out your nose, $10, uh, with saline before you... uh, uh, Spray that in your nose. The second thing is get the best over-the-counter antihistamine you can get, which is Zyrtec, also known as Cetirizine, and take it at night. And if the combination of those two medicines don't get rid of your problem, you got to see an allergist because uh, it's not going to work with pills. That is the pill test. And uh, that's where I would start. 
And if you want to know more, send me an email, Connie, and we'll just allergy you up. And welcome to Mississippi, the <laughs> pollen and hay fever universe. You have any comments on that one? No, I just think it's funny that you said the exact same thing before we walked in the door. Yeah, yeah, about me. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Connie, thanks for your call. Uh, let's go to South Haven and John. Hey, John, what's happening? Hi there. Um, I, I have a question, Lori. Uh, I'm 82 years old. I have so many things wrong with me. And if I weren't retired military, I couldn't afford myself. Got you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you. But um, I would like to to make a comment about the driving. Okay. Um, a, I don't know, year and a half ago, I guess, my wife, who's considerably younger than I, asked me what she thought, what I thought she ought to do if she thought I was driving in an unsafe manner. And I'm a volunteer with the local police department, and I'm another police officer. I said, hey, Call me or call my son, who's also a police officer, and have them come talk to me. And if they think I drive poorly, uh, now quit. Next thing, this winter, I plan to build a quadricycle with an electric motor. Uh-huh. I don't think I'll kill anybody with that. Um, so, have you had a visit from your son about your driving yet? No, 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 no. Okay. I'm, so, how did I'm, you get from there to the quadricycle? I, I don't make oh, the connection. Well, I'm going to do that because I can't ride a bicycle anymore. I got you. Uh, and I need the exercise. But it's also a good way to get around. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Take, we got that. What's wrong with me? If we got time, well, I have Parkinson's. Parkinson's. I have um, allergic rhinitis. I have basal motor rhinitis. I have osteoarthritis. I have hypercholesterolemia. I have GERD. Mm-hmm. Blood I pressure. Have, I've had bypass surgery. Okay. Um. Uh, and, and I've had my right hip replaced. Okay, let, let's talk about that a little bit, because you set us up for exactly what Alyssa uh, does every day, Dr. Lissa. So metabolic syndrome is epidemic in Mississippi. If you have a pot belly in your male or you're overweight and you're female, you will get high blood pressure, glucose intolerance, uh, hyperlipidemia, which is too much bad LDL, uh, gout in a lot of people, uh, and heart disease. So um, I suspect that you're spending an inordinate amount of time taking care of folks uh, like our caller who all this stuff is accumulated. And the question is, what do you do when they have 10 problems to keep them from having 11 problems? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think that's a loaded question. I think what you there's a few things you can do. I think it's to make them as informed as possible. You know, the fact that you could rattle off all of your medical problems like that is very impressive. You know, a lot of folks can't do that. Um, and I think it's just education and to keep them informed um, and then to keep them up to date on all the things they should be up to date on. Hmm. Um, and then from a geriatric standpoint, something that's hugely important is interactions. You know, very commonly in the world of geriatrics, we see someone who is on a lot of medicines and they start having a side effect. And instead of looking at that huge medicine list and seeing if one of the side effects is from one of those medicines, they'll just, a physician will just add another medicine to them mm-hmm. to, to treat the side effect. Mm-hmm. So and I you, notice that y'all give drug holidays not just from uh, osteoporosis medicines, but geriatricians 
dis, that's the first thing you do is oh, you absolutely. look at that drug list absolutely. and just get rid of If I can get rid of, of something, I would love to. If I can take away a medicine that makes me happy, if mm-hmm. I can give you a break from your antidepressant that you've been on for three years without any symptoms, I'm going to do that. If I can get rid of your PPI that you're on for your reflux and you're not having any reflux for the past six months, I'm going to do that. So I think if we can take away medicines, that's really good. And then not add a medicine to treat a side effect that might just be from another medicine. And I don't, I don't think most people realize that doctors are now getting dinged if from from the insurance companies if you prescribe stuff on a list that the insurance companies have a bad list mm-hmm. like i get dinged for elevil which i use a lot of for yep. peripheral neuropathy mm-hmm. uh every time i prescribe it for a senior i get dinged on i get mm-hmm. a letter are you sure you want to do I this sure what what uh, what's on that list that people oh, need boy. to avoid um, there's a lot of them you know there are if you are an internet person i encourage you to look up something called the beers criteria so Is that, that b i e r s b e e E-R-S, I'm okay. pretty sure. It's funny that I don't know how to spell that. Okay. Um, It'll usually pop up. Yes. Um, and so that's an important list for our elders because it's all of the recommended medicines that we should avoid in an elder. And it has a little bit of all medicines on it. But that's the list that our insurance company um, insurance companies look at. And when you're giving them a medicine that's on that list, they're going to send you a little alert that says, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. All right. So I hope that's helpful to you. And if it wasn't, give us a uh, an email and we'll do our best or call back next week. We'd love to have you. Let's go to Barbara, Barbara in Picayune. Here's a common problem. Hey, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, I've suddenly I've, I'm usually a very active person in the garden, particularly. I had surgery in January. A um, sigmoid colectomy, colorectomy, whatever it is. And I went for my six-month checkup in in July, six months later, July or so. And I have a hernia as well. Mm -hmm. Um, My recovery from the surgery was good. But suddenly, just in the last few months, I'm fatigued. I have... um, peripheral neuropathy and mm. arthritis as well. Okay, Barbara, we're running out of time, and let let me get her to address this whole issue of a change in the way you feel and fatigue in particular. Now, older people don't recover from surgery as oh quickly as younger people. Or anything. Do. And we expect to recover. Absolutely. And we get depressed mm-hmm. if we don't. Absolutely. And we get down. It sounds like she had a relatively good uh, recovery, recovery and now she's developed fatigue. So, Absolutely. what is the approach to should you, everybody who's old fatigued? I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> we were we, also talking about this before we, we don't walked sleep. In. We don't sleep right. Right. I think and, it, it's multifactorial. You know, I think one of the important things you said to reiterate is you're not going to recover from anything as well, albeit a surgery, an illness, a viral infection, a, a GI bug, any of those things. It's going to take you a lot longer than it took you when you were 30, 40, 50. And I think you. Just just got to give yourself a little bit more time. Um, and then fatigue in the elderly is just very common. It is one of the most common things I see. You know, I think just having a good general workup for that, checking some um, your thyroid, vitamin levels, things like that, um, blood pressure, diabetes, just getting all of those things looked at to make sure they're all okay is definitely a good idea. And then I think, even though it sounds contradictory to some people, activity. Make yourself get out there and do things. And a a lot of times I hear people say, oh, I'm too tired to go out and walk. Yeah. But if you do that, what you'll see is you'll actually increase your activity level in your energy. Thanks so much for being with us. You've heard uh, some very wise comments from our guest, uh, geriatrician, Dr. Lissa Weathersley. Uh, did I get it right that time? Weatherly. Weather, that's what I said. Weatherly. No, At least I S. thought there I was an S in there. Anyway, she'll be back soon. <laughs> and uh, we thank her very much for helping us out. And we thank you for your calls. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting with a little help from, Mississippi, from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Stay tuned for a replay of this on Sunday morning about 6 a.m. Uh, or return again next week, same time, same place. It's NPR's Here and Now, next on NPB 
Think Radio.